Attention passengers, sometimes there's some strangers. I won't say heroes, because what's a hero? But sometimes there's some strangers, and I'm talking about the conductor and Grimm here. Sometimes there's strangers. Well, strangers for the time and place. They fit right in there, and that's the strangers on a podcast. And even if they're lazy men, and the strangers were most definitely that, quite possibly the laziest in podcast land, which would put them high up in the running for laziest worldwide. But sometimes there's some strangers. Sometimes there's some strangers. Well, I lost my train of thought there, but ah, hell, I don't introduce them enough. Join us, won't you? Hello, and welcome to the movie car here at Strangers on a Podcast. I'm the conductor, and with me is... I'm Grimweed. We're called Strangers on a Podcast. Welcome, Grimweed, by the way. Well, welcome to you, too. Thank you. Uh, we're called Strangers on a Podcast because we're two guys who don't know each other, and we're talking about movies to see how they bring people together. Are we going to drive each other nuts? Are we going to curse and scream one another out? Well, it was looking like it last week. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Are we going to stay on topic, though? Probably no. not. No, we... Just we have not done that yet. Despite me shouting topic like a madman. Um, yeah. About today, we are talking about the one and the only, The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. I was a little too chill there. I forgot what we were doing. Yeah, it's The Big Lebowski this time. Yeah. It's it's a good movie. I like it. It, it is a good movie. <laughs> I uh, kind of lost my entire train of thought there for a minute. That's par for the course when we're talking about Big Lebowski. I was a little too limber, I think. That happens. No, but Big Lebowski came out in 1998. It was directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and along with John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, David Huddleston, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tara Reid, prior, I think this was pre-American Pie, yes. uh, Peter Stormare, and John Turturro. So a lot of the, the regulars for the Coens. A lot of them. I think John Turturro was in Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink, and yes. uh, he's been in a few of their movies. Yeah, he's been in quite a few. Also had cameos by Dom Herrera, a famous comedian, David Thewlis, and Sam Elliott as The Stranger. And Ben Gazzara is in it, and John Polito's in it, and Amy Mann is in it, too, the singer. Polito's been in a few as well. Polito's been in, I know he's at least been in Miller's Crossing, but uh, genre fans out there might remember him best as Gideon, the pawn shop owner in The Crow. He's been quite a, in quite a few things. He's been in quite a few. Unfortunately, he has passed. Okay. And, and we're all the worse for it, because Polito was a, a, a fine character actor. Who brought uh, a great kind of uh, gangsterish energy to all of his roles. But the music was by the Coen's regular, Carter Burwell. It was shot by Roger Deakins, who's done a ton of Coen Brothers movies like True Grit and Hail Caesar and No Brother Where Art Thou. But what is the movie about, Grim? Let's um, have a contest. Who can describe it better? Okay. You first. The Big Lebowski tells the story of an L.A. slacker du jour, the dude, as he deals with a mistaken identity, vandalism, and multiple home invasions, all stemming from mistaken identity. Wait a minute. I said mistaken identity twice. The dude's name is Jeff Lebowski. And there's a rich guy with the same name whose wife is kidnapped, and the Big Lebowski hires the Little Lebowski, the dude, as a bagman to pay off the kidnappers. Things go wrong, though. We soon meet an outrageous cast of oddball characters, including John Goodman as Walter Sobchak, hot-headed Vietnam veteran, dude's best friend. We meet Julianne Moore as Maud Lebowski, who produces avant-garde vaginal art. Uh, Peter Stormare as Uli, a German nihilist, and John Turturro as Jesus Quintana. No, it's Jesus. He calls himself Jesus Quintana, doesn't he? 
Yes, he is the Jesus. He is the Jesus. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. A hyper-competitive bowler and convicted pedophile. Eight-year-olds, dude. He's a pedo-ass, dude. Anyway, continue with your... That's it. Oh, okay. I guess it's my turn to see how I can describe this, huh? Yeah, man. It's a movie about a rug, a kidnapping, and bowling. Yet you never have your main character bowl. Bowl. Never yes, throws uh, a bowling ball once in the movie. You, you do see him throw a... You do see him put on some bowling shoes at one point, but he's not wearing socks. What do you like most about the movie, Grant? Well, I'm thinking, let's let's talk about it a little first. Alrighty. So first, we need we need to get some things out of the way. What do we got? We, we have a narrator. We do. By Sam Elliott as the stranger. Yes. The problem is, as we've talked before, I have a problem with names. Uh, um, I can remember. I can remember Sam Elliott, but when just running through my notes or just rattling things off the top of my head, I know his name, but I tend to forget it or a nickname will slip out. So uh, just what, just what? in case, I want to prepare you for that because. Oddly enough, his nickname is Mr. Rugged Butter. What are you on when you come up with these nicknames? This is not entirely me. So as I've said before, I watch a lot of YouTube reaction channels and things. Um, so anytime there is something that has him in it, especially at, like watching a reaction for Lebowski or something, when you don't see him, you just hear his voice, especially the female reactors will always say something about how much they love the rugged voice or it's like it makes them melt like butter so i started calling him mr rugged butter so are there sam elliott has female fans who think he has a sexy voice uh, uh, do you not believe this i can believe it i just <laughs> didn't know about it i can't believe you didn't know about it i've i've never it's I've, I've never really put the two together i've never thought of sam elliott as any kind of sex symbol but apparently he has oh, that women I, love him i i was unaware yeah uh, my first encounter with Sam Elliott was when he was uh, Patrick Swayze's friend in Roadhouse. I was going to say Roadhouse. Yeah. I just remember him, uh, oh, you're still carrying that dead horse around and all that stuff. And uh, and then Sam, it, unfortunately, I believe Sam Elliott died in Roadhouse in that movie. Yeah, he doesn't live through all his movies. Well, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, did he live through Tombstone? I think he did. Yeah, but that's not, not sure. all his movies. Well, he's done many movies. Yeah. <laughs> plays a great cowboy. And a lot of them are Westerns, so he tends to get shot a lot. He's also a certified lifeguard. But that has nothing to do with this movie. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make it clear. I could call him Mr. Rugged Butter at any time. So well, maybe, that's who I'm re referring to. Maybe you should just write down Sam Elliott on a post-it somewhere and just put that somewhere where you can see it. Well, maybe yeah, but that means every time I go to say anything, I have to read all my post-its because I, I would have to have everybody's names on post-its in front of me. You could have the post that say Mr. Rugged Butter equals Sam Elliott. I think it's just funner to call him Mr. Rugged Butter. Mr. Rugged Butter sounds like, I don't know, the name of some really poorly thought out character on a, on, a, on a Captain Kangaroo show. Well, just could you imagine spreading Rugged Butter on your toast? It sounds like it's got chunks of something in it. This butter washes its hand in wood chips. So, yeah, just to get out of that way. Okay, so, so you you might call Sam Elliott Mr. Rugged Butter. Yeah. But what what do you like about the movie? What 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 do you want to say about the movie, even though it involves Mr. Rugged Butter? Who well, I'm going to call Mr. Rugged Butter from now on. <laughs> it's just a fun name, isn't it? Not well in a in a weird a, way. It's just a, a fun name, Mr. Rugged Captain Butter. Captain Kangaroo way. Yeah. Yes, yes. But yeah, but I mean, it, it opens with Mr. Rugged Butter, and oddly enough, a lot of the reaction people, use, it opens with a tumbleweed just blowing through L.A. It's surprising how many people think, is that the tumbleweed talking? Ha! Um, well, that's, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, and really, it's, it is a very 
apt symbol for our main character. Just the way it, it blows through town on the wind and easily goes wherever. I think just, it makes its way all the way to the beach, doesn't yeah. it? All the way down from the, the hills out on the edge of LA, down all the way through LA down to the beach. Yep. Yeah, so it opens with that and a nice little connection to our last movie because, you know, since I'm connecting everything, the, the last movie did, we did was Night of the Demons. And how are you going to connect Night of the Demons to Big Lebowski? Very carefully and very sloppily. Is Kevin Bacon in both of those movies? No, I can do even better. Oh, really? Ralph's. Oh, Ralph's. Yes. So the house from Night of the Demons was apparently it was owned by Ralph's at the time, but they weren't allowed to do anything to it because they wanted to build a store there. And because of it being an old house and some kind of heritage thing, they weren't allowed. So when but it Ralph's came, owned the land. Yes. So when it came time, they're, they're looking for a place to film this movie and they found this house, they ended up renting it from Ralph's to film this movie. And then shortly after the movie was done, they ended up tearing the house down anyway. And now where the house was is a Ralph's. And where do we find, where do we encounter Ralph's in Big Lebowski? Um, well, the first time we see our main character, he is in a Ralph's. He carries around his Ralph's club card. In his wallet. As his only form of ID. I think As his only, only form of ID. And it does come up at another point later on. But yes, Ralph's is a big thing in, in this. Or not a big thing. It's a recurring thing in this movie. Is there a Ralph's around here? I think is a line in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, is, that is the connection I'm going to go into now. But because I know our next two movies. And I am going to connect every movie from 1 to 10. I'm not going to tell you what the rest of the connection is. You madman. You secret mad scientist. Uh, well, you... some of these you might have to use your imagination to accept the connection because I can't I can't do that at all. Bubba Hotep to Big Lebowski is a bit of a stretch. It does sound like one, yes. I, I consider those movies occupying two completely different cinematic worlds. Generally you would, yeah. But you know, in my off kilter world, we have a bunch of other things that don't really work in the rest of reality and I can connect them. Why do you think people like the dude so much? He's the man. Is just, he just, just like his intro, it's he he's a man. He's not a hero. He's just a man. A man for his time. Okay. So should I have a little fun with this? Have fun with what? There are a total on the DVD, there are a total of twenty chapters. Twenty chapters? Yes, there are twenty chapters. Um Okay. I am not going to talk about 20 of them. And even in the final edit, if we do talk about those, I will cut those out. All right. But let's try not to do that just in case I miss something. I thought we were... Oh, no. I'm going to sit here and tell you the movie from chapter one to chapter 18 going by nothing but the chapter titles. Um, I do want to say one thing, though. This is a Coen Brothers movie. It is. You have you have talked multiple times about tight plots, tight scripts, tight that Coen Brothers epitomizes that. There, they put a lot of work movie, into their uh, stories. This movie has no wasted lines. Every sign has a meaning, up to even like the Ben Hur billboard outside the bowling alley. It's Ben Hur Automotive. Yeah, but everything is there for a reason. The music is used very specifically to set tones to and and it's all things that are revealed as being part of the environment whether it's a car radio being played on headphones at music in a building everything's played there 
But these are all filmic um, things. I mean, these are all just elements in the pot. They aren't like it's not like there's some secret meaning behind Big Lebowski that we have to puzzle through. Oh no! To, but what I'm trying to say is everything because that has, would be that would be my instinct is to like okay, they put that Ben Hur sign there as a clue. Now, if I can just figure out exactly how this Ben Hur reference fits into this, I'll be able to figure out the movie on some deeper level. Is that is that possible? At some points, yes. Some points, no. My point is everything in this movie, there's a reason for. From dialogue to signs to clothing, everything has a reason. And the Coen brothers are very specific about those reasons. So if we're going to do this, we have to accept the fact that we cannot do this justice. We have to accept it. the fact that we are going to skip over a lot of things. We are going to miss things that we pro probably wanted to say before we started and just got so into it that it skipped our minds. This movie is deep and yet it's just, I want to say it's like as deep as the ocean, yet it's as shallow as a pond at the same time. It sounds like it's, uh, it's, it's paradoxical. In a sense. Yes, there, there, this movie has no meaning, and yet it has tons of meaning. And it, it's it's really hard. Like you, you've asked me on, on other episodes, you've asked me like, oh, yeah, so what do you think of the movie? Or what is this movie to you? This this has meaning and no meaning. This is, this movie, this movie has created a religion. This movie, it's, it sounds like Zen right now is what you're talking about. Um. Well, meaning and no meaning. Yes, that this is there is a lot of Zen to this movie. Um, but like I said, it, it created a religion which I am technically a part of. B believe it or not, I am an ordained Dudist priest. No. Yes, I am. But yeah, one of one of the 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 biggest, most I think w one of the most quotable or quoted lines is the Dude abides. I've seen T-shirts that say that, and it's a reference to Ecclesiastes. Uh, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. And the dude is like the earth. Yes. In this instance, the dude is like the earth. Things come and go. Shit happens basically. So anyway, I'm going to go through this quick and then we can get into our little discussion. Here we go. Just for people that don't know what the movie is or it's been a while. So the movie opens with a tumbleweed tumbling through the hills, down through the streets, onto the beach with Mr. Rugged Butter telling us about the dude. Essentially just saying, he's not a hero. He's not anything special. He's just a man. That's all we really need to know about him. Except for now he's walking into his house, doing kind of a little jog dance thing, goes into his apartment, turns on the lights. Behind him, we see, I'm going to use the terminology used in the movie. There's a Chinaman standing behind him. And suddenly somebody grabs him in a headlock, rushes him down the hall, shoves his head into the toilet and starts screaming, where's the money Lebowski? Again and again, where's the money Lebowski? We know you're good for it. Your wife owes Jackie Treehorn, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I'm not married. You see no ring, toilet seat seats up. Who the fuck are you talking about? Chinaman is now peeing on the carpet. Dude, don't do that. Then they realize, okay, this is not the right, this is not the person we're looking for because the Lebowski they're looking for is supposedly a millionaire. And this guy's don't, this guy ain't got shit. Now on to opening credits, thing. fancy opening credits, kind of fun, good music. And now we're it's at a bowling the man alley. man and me, I think, isn't it? Yes. And now we're at the bowling alley. We see Steve Buscemi throw a strike, turns around. He tells the dude. Throwing to, rocks tonight. He tells the dude to mark it and nothing happens. And he gets a look on his face of kind of like he's been rejected because no one's paying attention to him, which you hear, shut the fuck up, Donnie, said to him throughout this movie in various forms. Um, but we see John Goodman as Walter. 
we have Donnie, Walter, and the dude talking about the rug. Chinaman came in, peed on it. Dude, not Chinaman. You're using the wrong nomenclature. Fuck off. Agent American. What are you talking about, dude? Shut the fuck up, Donnie. A lot of that. That's the conversation. He didn't help build the railroads, Walter. Yeah, but it don't matter because we're not talking about that. We're talking about the other Lebowski, the big Lebowski. Okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, they were looking for him. They came in, they peed on my rug thinking it was him. I should go and contact him, get reimbursed for my rug from the other Lebowski. Now we meet the other Lebowski through Brant, who is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in probably one of the most interesting roles in the entire movie. Brant is fun to watch. He he is a background character that if you just watch him in the scenes, you're a lot of times more entertained by the way he's acting than what's going on in the scene. And this goes again to the Coen brothers. Everything is for a reason. Brant's acting or Philip Seymour Hoffman's acting as Brant through this, there's never a scene where it's like, oh, that's not really on me, so I can just sit here. There's always something, and it's mm. always just kind of a, that's weird. The looks on his faces, the poses, everything. It's like, okay, this guy's got to stick so far up his ass that if you tried to pull it out, he'd probably collapse. But I anyway. I like Brant. Oh, Brant is great. The other Lebowski comes in. Brant told me what was going on. What do you want? Well, the guy tried to pee, came in, peed on my rug thing, and it was you. Yeah, Brand already told me. Brand told fuck do you me want? what's my uh, what's my part in this? Exactly. What do you want, Mister Lebowski? No, I'm not. I'm not Mister Lebowski. You're Mister Lebowski. I'm the dude. A lot of that kind of conversation. Dude's like, no, this is what's going on. The big Lebowski's like, are you fucking employed? Get the fuck out of here. The the bums lost. He gets out. Brant the comes bums up. will always lose, Mister Lebowski. He walks out the door. Brant comes up. How was your meeting, Mr. Lebowski? Oh, great. He said I could take any rug in the house. They walk out with somebody following behind them, carrying a rug. They meet Tara Reed as Bunny Lebowski, painting her nails green, her toenails green. I think she asked the dude to blow on them. Yes. She puts her foot up for, for the dude to, to grab it. And he's like, you want me to blow your nose? Well, I can't blow that far. And then we also meet Uli in the pool, passed out, drunk. He doesn't care about anything, though, because he's a nihilist. Bunny offers to suck the dude's cock for a thousand dollars. Brant gives a nervous giggle. She says, Brant can't watch though, or he has to pay a hundred. Dude says, I'm just going to go find a cash machine. They leave. And we are now at the bowling alley yet again with somebody bowling. Walter coming up yelling over the line. It turns out it's Smokey, an old pacifist hippie abstainer from the war. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. I, 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 He's just like, no, I'm just bowling, man. Walter won't have it because it's league play. He's pissed. Over the line. No, I wasn't over the line. You were over the line. No, I wasn't over the line. Walter says, fuck it. You were over the line. I'm going to pull out my gun, aim it at your face, cock it and tell you you were over the line, mark it zero or else. He marks a zero. How am I doing so far? <laughs> I, I think you're uh, you're following along. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that Smokey is a pacifist. Yes. Uh, that uh, that plays into the philosophical nature of the movie. This way, the way these strange different characters sort of interact. Like uh, you have the German nihilist Uli, and then you have Smokey the pacifist, who is an who is a conscientious um, objector. Yes, that would he was a conscientious conscience. My tongue doesn't want to work. Conscientious objector. Exactly. Yeah. Now the cops are being called because you know Walter pulled a gun. They're walking out. Cops come up as the dude and Walter sitting in the car talking about all the shit that's going on. The dude's yelling at Walter. Now we're back at the dude's place. He gets a phone call from Brant, or he's listening to his messages. It's Brant calling because um, they need his help, and it's not about the rug. As the dude is doing yoga while holding a white Russian in his bathrobe 
on the rug. He goes to the Big Lebowski's house. Oh no, it's a kidnapping plot. Oh my God. Oh, sad, sad, sad. Oh, strong men can also cry. Do you mind if I do a J? Great. Okay. Why, why do you want me to help? Well, because it could be the dudes that's the, that soiled your rug. You're the only one that can, can tell us we need you to do the handoff. Great. Okay. Whatever. Back at the bowling alley, we meet Jesus. Jesus is a great character. He, I think, really should have had a lot better sequel movie or spinoff movie, whatever you want to call it. But the, the sad part is I can tell you everything about this movie and leave out Jesus completely and it won't make a difference to the story. He was only Jesus in it for a few minutes. A lot. Jesus does not contribute a lot to the plot. No, he, he's only in it for a few minutes. He doesn't really make a difference to the story at all other than the fact that dude can roll and he's a pederast. Other than Jesus that, it makes is- no difference. And Jesus even that, is like Boba Fett. He 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 is just there to create tension for another character. Yeah, almost. Um, but like I said, I could leave him completely out and doesn't make a difference. So for the sake of this, I will just because it's quicker. So they're talking about, oh well, yeah. So he gave me a beeper so they can tell, they can let me know when it's time for the handoff where I can go pick up whatever I need to go get the money. Blah blah blah. Oh well, what if it's during league time? Oh, don't worry. I told him if it's if it's during league play, then they gotta wait. Back at the dude's place. And he's laying on the, he's laying on the rug, listening to old tapes, uh, or he's listening to a tape on his Walkman of old bowling tournament. He opens his eyes, bam, pow, in the face, he's knocked out. Dream sequence, great, cool, amazing. Gotta watch it to, to really ex- get the idea of what I it is, we, so I'm not going to talk about it. I think we'll get the flying carpet or something? Yes, this is the one with the flying carpet. Not going to talk about it, you gotta see it to believe it. He wakes up when the beeper's going off, goes to the Lebowski's, gets the money, gets the phone. Her life's in your hands, dude. Don't say that. Her life's in her da- your hands, dude. He made sure, or he told me to make sure I tell you that. Her life's in your hands. Now we're at Sobchak's security, which is Walter's security thing, Walter's security business. Um, he's picking up it was right next door to a liquor store. Yes, it is. Or it was a, I think a pawn shop. Yes. A pawn shop and a liquor yes. store. Yes. So yeah, he picks up Walter there and was like, well, what the fuck are we even doing? Walter's like, oh, here, here's take the ringer, dude. It's like, what do you mean the ringer? It's well, it's my dirty undies. Walter's now decided, well, why, why take the measly 20 grand when we could have the whole million? Because the dude was going to get a 20 grand for his, his participation. For being the bag man. Yes. But you know, why, why? Give them the money when, you know, you already said she kidnapped herself because it's a whole fake plot. Probably. Yeah. That's, what that, that's what their estimation is. Yes, that was their estimation when they were talking at the bowling alley during the whole Jesus thing and the beeper and blah, blah, blah. She, Bunny the she trophy wife herself. has been kidnapped. Dude has been hired to give the money to the kidnappers. Yes. Walter is going with him. And the dude postulated that she had actually kidnapped herself. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, he'd say, well, she probably kidnapped herself. Well, now they're in the car with the ringer. Well, she kidnapped herself. So why even give them the money? We'll keep the money. Toss that out. If they're trying to pretend to be kidnapper kidnappers, they can't really say, well, you didn't give us the money because they're doing shit illegal. Anyway, they get the call. Well, no, can't do that. Or no, they get the call. He's supposed to be alone. He says, we, oh shit, fucked it up. What do you do? What did you do, dude? Who's that? Well, it's the driver. You can't expect me to talk on the phone, handle the money and drive at the same time. Hang up. Calls back. Okay, this is what we're going to do. No funny stuff. Go to the bridge. Throw out the money. Walter's like, okay, well, I'll slow down. No funny stuff. Walter's like, okay, I'll slow down. 15 miles an hour. I'll roll out and go back, catch one of them, beat it out of them of, of where she is. Hand me the Uzi. The what? He rolls out. Uzi falls on the ground, starts spinning around, shooting, shoots the back of the dude's car. He runs into a pole. He jumps out. We have the money. We have the money. As the, the supposed kidnappers right off on the motorcycles dude's car gets a lot of uh punishment throughout this film yes now they are back at the bowling alley phone's ringing dude's not answering walter's bowling phone's still ringing nothing's happening dude's like okay what the fuck are we gonna do walter's like well, what the fuck's the problem i don't see a problem whatever donnie shows up yeah 
they they posted the 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 next part of the term what the next round robin they posted they posted that oh who are we gonna ball oh, it's okay. on show for shallis yeah when are we gonna do that well i can't do that because we, we can't do that Shabbos. i don't roll on on saturday blah blah i can't well if you can't do that but big conversation between him and donnie about his religious beliefs and what he can and can't do on what days Dude's like, fuck this shit. I'm out. I got a serious problem here. And you guys are all worried about whether or not you roll on a, on some religious day. He gets up to leave. Walter's like, oh, hold on, dude. And they, oh no, they're going to kill the poor woman. Get outside talking about, oh, well, who's got a million dollars in the back of our car? Oh shit. Where's your car? Car's car gone. has been stolen, but it was in handicap zone. So it, it a handicap spot. So it could have been, it could have been towed. <sighs> okay. Got to take a breath. Uh, the phone's still ringing. Car's not there. Dude, the phone's ringing. Yeah, I know Donnie. Phone's ringing. Dude. Yeah, okay, thanks. By the way, I'm leaving. He walks home. Now he's at a, he's at his apartment. Cops are there sitting, talking about, oh, the stolen car. What color is it? He's describe, describing the color. Says, oh, yeah, there's also a tape deck and some credence tapes. Oh, yeah, and my briefcase. Well, what's in the briefcase? Papers. Just my, my papers. Just, just some papers. Business papers. Well, what do you do? I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. Oh, yeah, by the way, they also someone also stole my rug. It was in your car? Oh, no, it was here. Oh, separate cases. Phone rings. Mr. Lebowski, this is this is Maude Lebowski. I'm the one that stole your rug. Cops says, oh, I guess we can close the case on that one last. I guess they don't plan on saying, oh, why the fuck did you steal his rug? It's, oh, yeah, someone admitted to it, so I guess they're going to get away with it. We're, we're at Maude's, learn, learning about Maude. She is... Quite the character. Yes. She is an artist. She comes flying in on this big contraption, splattering paint all over a canvas. Um, but yeah, she she's naked I think in she a harness. Was meant to be naked, but she wore panties for modesty for the scene. Either way, she's naked in a harness, flying through the air, splattering paint. Dude's like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Big conversation about, "Oh, my work's strongly vaginal." A lot of guys have an issue with with the word vagina. Do you have an issue with the word vagina? What? Huh? Oh, a lot of people talk about Dick Rod Johnson. Johnson. Mod Mod says she is the Big Lebowski's daughter. Tells him about Bunny, who was in Beaver Pictures, the Lebowski universe's term for porn movies. But she was and in a fine term it is. Yes, and it features I, a cameo from a real porn star, I believe. Yes, it is. Asia Carrera is the the actual adult movie star that is in that because, you know, if you want to show that somebody is in a beaver picture, you don't just have someone show up at the door in lingerie and some random guy saying, I'm here to fix the cable. You have the roommate walk out completely nude. Like it's no big deal to be standing there with some random dude just standing in the doorway while she's completely naked and say, oh, I guess you're here to fix the cable and then walk over to the couch and put on heels while still completely naked. Now you know you're in a porn movie. We get the ride back from Mods to Lebowski's apartment. Uh, he gets out talking about who well, who's the guy that followed us. Oh, what are you talking about? Yeah, the guy in the, the Volkswagen followed us all the way here. He turns to look, and as he turns to look, he's hijacked by yet another person, drags him into another, li- another limo. limo. Watch out, dude. There, uh, there's a drink here. Fuck you. I don't want to spill. Careful, man. It doesn't matter. He throws him in the, the limo. Anyway, now we're at Brent and the Big Lebowski. What the fuck happened? Oh, gave him the money. Shit's not fucked up. Well, the fucking plane flew into the mountain. Shit's really fucked up. No, I swear I have good information. She kidnapped herself. Did it ever occur to you? No, it didn't. Brant, hand him the envelope. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess you want to give me a check instead of cash. Great. Uh, no, it's a toe. And it uh, has green toe. nail, uh, green paint on the nails. Uh-oh. What happened? Dun, 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 dun. Yes, that is a very dun, dun, dun moment. So now we're at a diner, close in shot with... 
the dude and Walter talking about, oh, well, no, that wasn't her toe. What do you mean? What about... You want a toe? I can get you a toe. I can get you a toe by 3 p.m. today. Yeah, what about the green nail polish? Well, I can get you a toe by 3, 3, 3 p.m. today with nail polish. Walter gets a little loud. Dude gets fed up. He's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Walter stays to finish his coffee. Back to the bowling alley. They always go back to the bowling alley. <sighs> I feel like I'm missing something. Walter and Donnie and the dude sitting at the bar. Oh, no. I know what I'm missing. So now we're back at the dude's apartment. He's laying in the tub, smoking while enjoying the candlelight and relaxing in a nice bubble bath. Phone rings. It's the cop saying, oh, Mr. Lebowski, we found your car. Dude's like, oh, wow, man. Great. Fucking awesome. Oh, what the hell's going on? There's a big loud crash. He looks out. There's now three people in his house smashing the place up. What the fuck? This is a private residence, residence, man. They come in. They throw what he calls a marmot into the bath with him. It's squealing. He's freaking out. They tell him, we want the money or else we're going to come back, come back and cut off your Johnson. Now we're back at the bowling alley with a dude, Walter and Donnie talking about, yeah, they came. They're going to cut off my Johnson. Walter's like, oh, they were Germans. It must have been Nazis. What do you mean they were Nazis? Well, they were Germans and they were threatened to cut his dick off. Are we going to split hairs? No. Well, no, they weren't. They weren't Nazis. They were nihilists. Holy shit. Nihilists. Dude went to find his car before he went to the bowling alley then. He went to the impound lot. Then he oh, went to the bowling yes. alley. Oh, yeah. He gets his car and then he goes to the bowling. Yeah. So he goes to get his car. It's It stinks. They don't have any leads, any of that shit. Somebody probably, homeless person probably used it as a bathroom. Um, now he's got his car back. Now we're at the bowling alley. Conversation between Walter, Donnie, and the dude. They're sitting at the bar at the bowling alley. Yes. They're sitting at the bar at the bowling alley. Conversation between Walter, Donnie, and the dude. They're going to cut off my Johnson. Whoa, what do you need that for, dude? Which really, it's like, what the fuck, Donnie? I might not use it every day, but I like to use it from time to time. Fair, fair point. Yeah. Then, uh, then we get a rugged butter voice fella. They're, they're talking back and forth and, and, and the dude's like, but what the fuck, man? They're, they're threatening me. She's missing. They're saying they cut her toe off. Now they're threatening to cut my dick off. And, and Walter's like, relax, dude. It's not that big a deal. He's like, well, fuck, you know what? Fuck you, Walter. Fuck you. Fuck the tournament. Because Walter doesn't want him to take the negative energy in the tournament. Fuck you. Fuck the tournament. Oh, holy fuck. What do you mean? Fuck the tournament. Come on, Donnie. Let's go. Leave this motherfucker here by himself. Because if he's saying fuck the tournament, we don't want to deal with that. They walk Clearly, off. You don't want to be made to feel better, dude. They walk off. And now we get the same music that was at the start of the movie. Camera pulls back. Now we see Mr. Rugged Butter sitting there. Have a nice conversation between him and the dude. I like your style. Oh, I like your style too, dude. You have to swear so much. What the fuck are you talking about? And now we're at the doctor's because Maud said, oh, sorry for about the sorry about the punch on the face. I want you to go see this doctor. He's a good man and thorough. Well, I don't need to. I, need, I don't need to. He's a good man and thorough. So he goes anyway, because Maude keeps insisting. Doctor says, pull down your pants. He's, oh no, she hit me in the face. Oh, well, I don't care. Pull down your pants anyway. I'm going to do a checkup. And a checkup he did. Yes. And now we are in the car as he's listening to Credence, smoking a joint, looks in the, oh, and drinking a beer, looks in the mirror, sees the Volkswagen that was following him before. He's like, oh, what the fuck? Now he starts taking turns trying to avoid it. He goes to flick the, the cigarette out the window, windows up, it lands in his lap. He freaks, pours beer on it, crashes his car. Again, n- no Volkswagen around. He Goes to try and get out and because can't open the door because it was fucked up when the car was stolen. He looks down. There's something in the seat. He pulls it out, reads it. Oh, well, shit. This is homework from the kid that stole the car. Now we're going to go see what the fuck the kid has to say. After they go to, to watch the weird performance by the dude's landlord. Who does an interpretive dance. Of y- yes. His cycle. Which he worked really hard to get the venue for. Yes. We are now watching this performance. Walter comes comes in and yeah, so I found the kid. It's He's the, the son of a famous dude. We can go over there after the after this, what have you. Donnie's like, oh, that's over, over by the In-N-Out. In Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Oh, it's closer. Well, it's closer to the In-N-Out. We can get In-N-Out. We can get burgers, beer, and, and laughs. 
at the same time, they go to the kid's house. Kid ain't saying shit. Donnie, Donnie's stuck in the car because, you know, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Stay away. Just keep out of, keep out of the way while we while the men go and do the work. Walter and the dude can't get shit out of the kid because, you know, we know it's your homework. Shut the fuck up, Walter. Just where's the money? We're going to cut off your Johnson. You're killing your dad, Larry. Still nothing from the kid. Walter gets up, goes outside. I'm going to show you what, what it feels like when you fuck, I'm show you what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, goes and gets a tire iron out of the dude's trunk, beats the shit out of the, the windows on a Ferrari that was sitting outside that they believed was the kids that he used with the money that was in the car. No, it's the neighbors. Neighbors like, well, you, I just got this car. I'm, you fucked up my car. I'm going to fuck up your car. Now they go and they smash the dude's windows too. In, in, in fairness, the dude's car was a piece of shit, and it was in pretty bad shape already, but this was a brand new looking Ferrari. Yes. So now they are driving away, windows all shattered, wind blowing in their faces as they're eating in and out. At least they got those burgers. Yes. We go to the dude's place. He hammers a board to the floor, puts a chair on it between the board and the doorknob the to doorknob. try and keep the door from opening, and only his door opens out. Funniest part in the movie. I laugh my ass off. Oh, that yeah, door. that's I'm great. Um, so yeah, door opens out, guys walk in. Jackie Treehorn wants to see you. That's the guy that Bunny Lebowski owed the money to, and he knows who you are. He wants the deadly deadbeat Lebowski this time. Now we see boobies as girls are thrown up into the air on giant blankets, kind of like that whole trampoline thing. Kind of. We meet Jackie Treehorn. He's like, "Oh, what the fuck, dude? Where's Bunny?" And he's like, "I don't know. I thought you had her." Oh, well, where's my money? I know you know. I know you're wrapped up in in it somehow. Dude's like, "Well, what's in what's in it for me?" Oh, I'll give you a cut. Okay, well, this kid's got it. Oh, well, what the fuck? You think you you think a kid's got it? You think I'm going to be that stupid? Oh, by the way, the drink I gave you is drugged. Now you're running down the street in another weird acid trip dream sequence, which plays to a great Kenny Rogers song and is probably one of the most memorable things about the entire movie called- Just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. It was called Gutterball. Yes, it was called Gutterballs, which was title 17 or chapter 17. We're at chapter 17 of 18, so I'm almost there. Almost. They, they go through this dream sequence and ends up with him running down the street being chased by, or running down the street while cars are going by. Then we hear sirens. Now he's in the back of the car singing the theme song to the show that Brandy. was written by the father of the kid that they were harassing. Who's in now in an iron lung. Yes, who's now in an iron lung. They end up at Malibu Police Department. He's talking about he wants he wants Bill Kunstler or Ron Kuby because they are famous civil rights lawyers at the time. So he wants them to help because he's being arrested for no reason at all because Jackie Treehorn treats objects like women. Cops looking through the dude's possessions. He finds nothing but a Ralph's card, which we mentioned before. And he says, is that your only form of ID? He looks at other shit and says, yeah, what the fuck, dude? I don't like your jack-off face. I don't like your jack-off. Blah, blah, blah. Don't like you, jack-off. What do you think of that? Sorry, I wasn't listening. What the fuck, asshole? I'm now going to say I don't really like you by chucking this coffee mug at your face and bouncing it off your forehead. Holy shit, you fucking fascist. Stay out of my city, Lebowski. Kicks him. Throws, throws him out on the street. Now a cab's taking him. He doesn't like the Eagles, so he gets kicked out of the car. He's now at home, laying on this floor because he tripped over the board while Maud is dropping his bathrobe that she is wearing down to the floor, asking him to love her. And then we're now at her asking him what he does. He says he used to be in the music business because he was a roadie for Metallica for a while and they're a bunch of assholes. And he gets which up. Metallica has tried to put into their concert somehow, which they, because they're proud of their being referenced in the movie. Hey, it's a great movie. He he is smoking a joint and 
it, it kind of sparks into his throat. He coughs, gets up, goes to the bathroom, comes back out as he's talking to Maude. She's doing some kind of weird shit. He says, what is that yoga? She says, no, it increases the chances of conception. And at that point, everything in the movie is unraveled. And we are now walked through what was actually going on from the start until now. And this is where I say, fuck the rest. We're now going to talk about what we like about this movie. And a fine synoptical rant that was, sir. I didn't think it was going to take that long, but... No, no, you never you ever think something's going to take as long as it's going to take, but a thing takes as long as it's going to take. So, we're, we're through the synopsis. People have a good idea of what the movie's about, I think. I hope so. If they don't, uh, well, well, they can rewind and listen to your synopsis again. I mean, I know I skipped over some stuff, but like I said, it's Coen Brothers. There, there's no way we could do it justice. So the only thing I could do is just a quick off the top of my head run through just to say, okay, this is kind of what it's about. And then get on to the good part where we try and tell each other why this movie is so good because we all think it's good for different reasons and try and convince the other guy that their reason is better. Your reasons are all terrible, Grim. Just terrible. So are yours. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> anyway. So where do you want to start with this? Well, uh, I what I kind of found disappointing about the dude's character is that he is this icon of chill, you know. And that's disappointing? No, it's not disappointing. It's that he is not chilled out very much through the movie. He is always getting, he is always letting Walter get to him. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of times when he is very undued. He's very undued, and he is just like you know, Walter. Can you just chill out a minute? And he, he's getting all wound up, and he, he's finally it's like he gets fed up and leaves constantly. He's like, you know what? Fuck you guys! I'm done. He just gets up and leaves the bowling alley. He gets up and leaves the diner. Uh, and if you it, notice, though, the times when he is undude, Walter is very dude. Yes, I suppose so. Because the, the times when the times when the dude is all uptight and and going off are the times when Walter is very chill. Walter is. Walter is a weird paradoxical paradoxical character alongside the dude then because in the fact of the matter is is, is like Walter is uh Walter's a hothead yeah. to be sure he pulls a gun on a fellow bowler well it's league play it's league play yeah they we can't can't let anybody screw around during league play yeah it's the rules it's league play am i wrong i i don't believe league play is worth shooting a person over well no, no. but as as Walter says, am I wrong? So, okay. And as long as we're connecting things, the, f the first move we did, we did, or we counted the doubles. Yes. And then fifth, fifth element, element, we, we counted, counted the fives. fives. Well, you did. I never, I've never well, been through it. Well, it was, it was one of those things. Oh yeah, I count this. And there was another one where it was a count something. I can't remember what it was. Um, I don't Other remember. than how many times we said douche and I, yeah, if you guys actually did that, we're sorry. We didn't think, think it was going to get that out of hand. If, if you, if, if anybody is drinking to our podcast that I, I, well, you I, might need to, to get through it. Possibly. <laughs> what, but what do we count in Big Lebowski? What did we count in Big Lebowski? Yeah. What's, what, 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 what does one need to count to watch to throughout Big Lebowski? And, in 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 Strangers on a Train, one counted the doubles. In Fifth Element, one count, one spotted moments where five things were on display. What, is there something like that in Big Lebowski? Um, okay. So you could count the times when Walter says, am I wrong? You can count that. If you want to count how many times the word man is said, you can. 187 times. 198. I thought it was 87. Man is said 198 times. Lebowski is said 89 times. Dude. And, and you want to take a guess at that one? 137 times. 162. I was close. And fuck Not even close, is actually. the big one. Yes, I, I believe like uh, Big Lebowski is number 21, is ranked number 21 in the movie where the word fuck is spoken the most. 
And how many times do you would you say it's in there? Two hundred plus over two hundred times. Two hundred eighty-five times. And every dude, man, Lebowski, pause, everything was scripted. Yes, I think the only thing that uh, Bridges Jeff Bridges says he improvised was calling the Big Lebowski a human paraquat. Quite possibly. I know in interviews I've seen with almost every cast member, they have all said that they did everything they could to stick as close to the script as possible. If there was ellipses, they paused for if every pause, every word that they say was in there. They did improvise, but they improvised during rehearsals so they can get a better feel of the character. And then when it came time to record, they went straight back to the script is what they said. The thing is, is that takes a a lot of time fine tuning dialogue and it takes a lot of it takes some very talented actors who are able to and a turn lot this of into faith that's a lot. in your in your director and your writer and John Turturro has gone on record as telling somebody who was worried about working with the Coens, "Don't worry, I've worked with them before. It might seem weird when you're saying it, but in the end, it's going to be great." Hmm. And I know that's not the exact quote, but it's close enough. Uh, and John Turturro has worked with them on a number of occasions. Yes. Um, we will be seeing him again shortly. Yes, we will. By the way, uh, I thought Julianne Moore did an amazing job as Maud. I don't know what you uh, thought of the Maud character, but I, I found her delightful. Again, Cohen's everything's deliberate. Everything down to Maud's perfect Bob haircut. Just the real... Because it's just, a Raymond Chandler story, and therefore she has a haircut from the 20s. Yeah, everything is just prim and proper, and she is that upper crust kind of modern art type that's like, oh, well, let's just take a bunch of junk and throw it together and call it art. She's like that kind of artist. I don't know about that. I think she did some sort of like snow angel in paint on her canvas before she... uh Well, yeah, but did you not see all the like ladles and metal crap that she poured out of the bag when she was out getting her supplies? Okay, I may have missed that part. Yeah. She she is a modern artist. She's not like when you say like an artist and, and like the upper crust artist and think about like these fancy paintings and everything. She is the upper crust modern art yuppie crowd type. Yes, I, I got that impression from her character. Yeah, we, we get a nice um, treat with Professor Lupin too. Professor Lupin? Yes, f- from um, Harry Potter. Oh, what? Uh, Knox. Oh, Harrington. David Thewlis. Yes. Yeah, as a... Uh, as Knox Arrington, yes. the giggling little uh, video artist. Yeah, Maud's friend with the cleft asshole. Yeah, which which he finds hilarious. I, I just remember. Well, like, I mean, it uh, is a good line. I just remember feeling sorry for the dude when he's stuck in a room with Maud and her friend, and they just both start giggling while one of them talks on the phone. Oh yeah, they're and both on the phone. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they just both, and it's just this bizarre, inhuman giggling that they that they're able to conjure up to sound like chittering birds or something. And and the dude is just standing there looking back and forth at them, just like he's he's completely not in his own world in that yeah. moment. At that moment, he is lost. He has been completely like he has found some strange world of of other humans that don't make sense to him. Pretty much. And it's a kind of a hilariously awkward scene because uh, the, these two people are uh, they might be making fun of the dude is, is the thing is it's like I they, just got the impression that he was just there like they just completely ignored him they were in their own world he yeah he's here but yeah whatever and they just kind of went on with life and were done with him I didn't know David Thewlis was in Harry Potter he was he was Professor Lupin the werewolf guy yeah that was David Thewlis I don't know his name. Oh, it's David Thewlis, Knox Harrington. So, yeah. Well, we're not I'm, doing Harry Potter. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm guessing you haven't watched Harry Potter. 
I've seen or at least any time recent, or at least that one. I I I, I, I remember that one, and I didn't care much for that character to be honest. Okay. I, I, but David Thewlis is a a fine actor, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, again, I can't remember names, so hence why I called him Professor Lupin. You remember the name Professor Lupin? Mm-hmm. Because it's Lupin, and it's a werewolf. I thought you meant I, I thought you meant Professor Lupin, like Lupin the Third or something, or, or Lupin the or Gentleman th- Thief from French literature. I was going to say, now are we going to go into anime and no have that Lupin? No, oh, Lupin, Arsene Lupin. Or are we uh, going to go into Mon- Monty thief. Python and? And now we got somebody stealing all the lupins. I just think that and look, get, if the steal dude the lupins just, from the rich and give them to the poor. Topic. I think <laughs> if the dude had maybe, if the dude and Walter had maybe seen eye to eye earlier in the movie, like maybe like the a lot of the movie wouldn't have happened. I think there's two very clear, well, not very clear. There's two good symbols for this movie. One is the tumbleweed, and the other is the board nailed to the floor. What is the board nailed to the floor supposed to represent? Well, like I said, the the tumbleweed is him just kind of going with the wind wherever life takes him and just moves on, like, no problem. Um, And the board nailed to the floor, it's something that he put there that ends up taking him down. He took himself down. Every time in this movie, anything that happens, it's because of him. If he would have just either just called the cops to begin with or just cleaned the rug, nothing would have happened. He pursued, he's the one that kept doing things and it's every time he does something, whether he's including Walter or allow, because he didn't have to go pick up Walter. No, he didn't. Everything that happens bad in this movie is a result of his own actions. His poor decision making, you might say. Yeah. And I don't mean everything bad that happened because there are some bad things that happen to other people. But I mean, as far as he's concerned, everything that goes on with him, everything bad that happens is because of things that he has done. It's not like he elucidates that or, or says oh, no. that, states that plainly at some point in the moment of self-reflection. The dude doesn't you know, think about himself that way. I oh, think. no. And that's what I'm saying. It's just a good symbol f- as far as the movie and the character, because like I said, the character of the tumbleweed in the movie, he put the board there and it's that board that takes him to the ground. It's his actions are taking him down throughout the whole movie. Well, one could one could argue that it is his his fear is taking him down because it's making him uptight. Yes, but you know that's why he's on a strict drug regimen to keep his thinking limber. Well, because a, a, his thinking didn't... was too uptight, which is why he couldn't figure out what was going on for so long. But we're not going past that. The dude was scared to scared to make the switch on the on the on the ringer, but Walter was like immediately for it. So he was playing well, yeah, it was the his game. idea. Yeah, because Walter at least was. Like he was getting involved in the kidnapping case more proactively than the dude was. The dude was just like, "Oh, uh, don't tell me that." When they tell the, her life is in your hands, dude. Well, yeah. And they tell you don't want that extra pressure. No, he doesn't want that extra pressure. Walter takes that pressure on and not only discards it, but he he laughs at it and goes for something completely different. I I don't know if the Walter is being chill there. I don't know if Walter is being dude there. I mean, when Walter makes the switch and tries to go after the kidnappers with an Uzi, I think he's being pure Walter. He's not being pure dude or anything like that. Yes. His actions were like, not something that the, the dude would do because the dude is pacifist. But his thinking, he was chill. He was still well, chill when he was doing it. Walter was? Yeah. He was like, okay, yeah. Give me the give me the ringer, dude. Or no, give me give me the Uzi. Throw out the ringer. Which they couldn't even do that right, I guess, because they had they, they kept had trying the and they couldn't get the bag to- to fly right so they did it in reverse and had to throw and had well have you ever tried to throw a bowling bag out of a car it wasn't a bowling bag it looked like a bowling bag it looked to me like a little um like a satchel whatever like a a satchel satchel full of clothes tried to throw something out of a car window in a perfect dark it's not easy 
Yeah. Well, try throwing it from outside off the bridge up into the car as it's going backwards. Going that backwards that takes slowly. a hell of a shot there too. Well, they probably had a, somebody who was fairly athletic or maybe a quarterback or something. On, and or a to, lot of attempts. Maybe. When we first meet Brent and we're in the Big Lebowski's office or whatever it is, and he's going through all the different pictures and everything. Did you notice Brant repeat necessary means when he's talking about Lebowski's children? It's like the ones that didn't have the necessary, necessary means, necessary means. He says it twice. No, I, I did not. It's almost like if you're, if you're not watching and you just hear it, it's almost like it was a skip or they just screwed up the cut, but it's just one long shot. And it's the Coens. So to leave that in, that kind of, I think, is back to what I was, what I've talked about before with like in May, when I said mm-hmm. like continu- continuity errors, is it a continuity error or did they leave it in for a reason? And well, with the Coens, I think that is definitely for a reason. Well, what reason was it? I don't know. And that's what I was going to ask what you thought. Oh, I missed it completely. So I clearly didn't come up with anything. <laughs> I only, just remember the Lebowski Junior Achievers, I think they were called. Yes. But the only thing I can think of is up until that point, which isn't really that long into the movie, but up until that point, we've heard a lot of things. Was was he pausing so that dude, because he dude was poking a picture or something? There wasn't even really a pause. It was like necessary means, necessary means. And there wasn't really like a pause and he had to go back to what he was saying because the dude kept touching things. So it could have been that. And he just, he got thrown off and it's like, okay, no, I got to go back to my script because you know, Brant has a script he has in his head for what he says about each and every single one of those pictures. Because whenever he got to those pictures, you could tell there was something specific he wanted to say, but the dude kept changing the conversation and it was throwing him off. So that mm. could have been what it was. But like I, like I was saying, I was thinking that like up until this point, we've heard a lot of things. Like when, when we're first at the store, we heard, and we even saw the news report, but we heard uh, George Bush Sr. saying, um, this will not stand, this, this will not stand, this aggression against Kuwait. And that, that was a famous speech that he gave on August 5th, 1990. Yes. And then dude is watching the speech. So that, that gives us a date for the movie, at least that scene. Well, and, and it could be that, that w- they were just showing a clip of that report. And that just, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the day because he is also writing a check for September 11th. So, he, so he's either post-dating be. a check yes, or which is a check for 69 cents. And if you have to post-date a 69 cent check, that really says something about your financial situation, but it never does. It never does go into the dudes, how the dude. Well, the original income. script did, and they decided to leave that out. Because Should would, we say what it was? Well, he was originally supposed to be the heir to the to Rubik's, the Rubik's Cube's Cube fortune. Why was George W. Bush um, say, George H. W. Bush saying this aggression will not stand? The movie because the movie is a period piece. Well, and again, it's a, he he's saying that. But my my point was up until that point, we keep hearing a lot of things, we keep seeing things. A lot of things are said to the dude, and a lot of things are going on, but nothing is really repeated yet and then brant repeats the necessary means and then once he does that now all these lines and all these other things that have been said start popping up again throughout the movie ah so my thought was is that kind of is that kind of a way of like okay now here we go we're we just flip the switch now the dude is going to start repeating things because the big lebowski starts yelling at him and he said and he says this aggression will not stand man yeah so there's Uh, the first callback 
And then throughout that, he does that with Johnson, Vagina, Beaver. And visual callbacks of of the checkered floor in Lebowski's house showing up in other places like the The, gutter balls. The tile in the dream sequence um, for for gutter balls. Um, The trident that Maude has in the dream dream sequence for gutter balls is on one of the statues in the Big Lebowski's house. Yeah, everything, everything in the movie has a meaning somewhere. Yes, but it's not a deeper meaning. I think what you're what you're well, the, there, you're there's saying, a connection. Everything in this movie is connected. It's it's uh, one could argue that instead of a meaning, it's more like visual gags and cues that and little callbacks to things that have already happened in the movie. But when you say deeper meaning, that makes me feel like the movie's a poem we have to interpret and we have to parse out some details. And you can and well. Yes, I've heard there are various interpretations about how it's a it's a political statement, uh, how it's a, a statement on modern consumerism, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's it's there's a sexual uh, interpretation of Big Lebowski. Yeah, there's a lot as, of different as far ways as you like can the it. sexual revolution is concerned, I suppose. And and there's I mean we get to almost the end of the movie when we're introduced to a name we've not heard throughout the entire movie. And even the dude's like, who the fuck is that? Cause we get all the way almost to the end and we're now hearing, getting the name, the Knutsons. Yes. I remember the Knutsons. So, I mean, there's things that are going to come up throughout this movie. Then it's like, what the fuck? And you don't know, even at the last minute, is this new information that's going to change things? Because again, the Knutsons, I think it's just more of now they, they, based a lot of uh they based the structure of the film on a raymond chandler novels on the basis of raymond chandler novels where uh chandler would have these hardcore private detective stories where the the, the character philip marlowe goes through certain episodes in the chapters where he gains different pieces of the puzzle to put them together in the end the coens took their inspiration as from the philip marlowe books like uh the big sleep and such to uh to, to write the big lebowski i think what the visual callbacks and the references within the movie are that that's more like a that's more like a novelist's trick uh, that's where things return to to reinforce a character's actions or what have you oh yeah like, everything one, is there's reinforcement but it's kind of like you you see how the dude isn't really it's like he's never going on his own it's just kind of where life takes him and people are like yeah come here do this his speech is a lot of times it's picked up from other people because he's a lot of times like i said he's a lot of times repeating what others have said that this movie ha- has a lot of that for a long time i i always wondered if if they actually wrote lines for steve buscemi in the movie or did they just like tell him to improv and let walter tell him to shut the fuck up no, but I, no, we we know for everything a fact that was they written. wrote everything was yeah. written, and that John Goodman had hit the cue every time that every time he told Donnie to shut the fuck up, John Goodman had to you know make that work. Yeah, and he even said that his idea of that character was if he wasn't a good bowler, the dude and Walter wouldn't be friends with him. That was his really? take on that character. Yeah, that was that was how he played that character, as if he was somebody that the only reason these guys were his friends is because he could bowl and he knew so you it. Think- you, you don't think they replaced Donnie at some point? And like, or, or maybe? Well, I mean, I kind of think they would have to. I don't know. Jesus and uh, his fellow were a two-man team. Were they? 
I believe so. Or were they so. just the only two that came over? I remember when Walter was talking about, yeah, we got Quintana, and uh, he didn't mention a three-man team. True. But as for the aggression will not stand and things like that, I think that's just you know him taking inspiration from the president in a weird way to uh, say, like, you know, he says that to Lebowski in his office to just imply to the big Lebowski that just because the dude is a bum doesn't mean he's going to stand Well, yeah, but that's just the first instance of the repeating start because he repeats things to other people that Walter has said. He repeats things that Maud says. He repeats things throughout the movie. Repetition <laughs> being what it is. I, I think the dude just, uh, I, I, that might just be part of him going with the flow is he, he, he absorbs things from other people's personalities. And like, especially I think Walter has a pretty big influence on him. Like, uh, oh, yeah. Walter, Walter is the one who convinces him to go to the big Lebowski in the first place to try to get the rug compensated. So when he quotes Walter, that's just more to show Walter's influence on dude's thinking. Well, like I said, he also quotes Maude too. Um, but yeah, so it, this wasn't based on, like you said, Raymond Chandler, it was based on the the big sleep yes and the coen brothers wanted to create a film centered around an unraveling mystery and complex plot that turns out to be unimportant that's exactly what they did it is an unraveling mystery and a complex plot that is completely meaningless and that's what life is people that's where the dude and and walter just are like all of us in a way where we're all just trying to figure out this unraveling mystery of life and and in the end it doesn't matter because all we get from it is what we take from it all we can do is abide so you brought up barton fink earlier did i yes you did when we were talking about uh Totoro. oh it's a fine movie barton fink john um, goodman was also i think that was one of uh, another time john goodman collaborated with the cohen's yes other than um the actors do you know the connection between the movies uh i believe hmm, i used to know it but i can't think of it now okay so on the window at soap check security says on the window um that they offer peace of mind and john goodman's character in barton fink tells barton that he sells peace of mind Ah, because he's an insurance salesman. And that's one of those things. Coens connect their movies in certain ways like that, that it's like every movie's a nod to their other movies. And sometimes their nods to other movies are movies that they haven't even made yet, but they know they're making. I think Pixar does that too. And Stephen King does that. Like I saw somebody made a chart where uh, all the references that Stephen King makes to his other novels is charted out from between the works. And it's this amazing subway map of different colored lines of just uh, this character in the stand is mentioned in this book. Yeah, it looks uh, like one of those book, this book, this serial book. killer walls with string all over the place. And I call those crazy walls. Yeah, it's a crazy person wall. What it looks like. Pixar does it. Stephen King does it. Uh, it's it's something that authors do where they, they make self, self-referential little tidbits for people to pick up on, like a trail of breadcrumbs. But to, where do the breadcrumbs lead? I say nowhere. Well, like, shut the fuck up, Donnie, is a reference to his character in Fargo because he would never shut up. Yeah, the, they, they said, I think they one of the Coens stated that Steve Buscemi was such a motor mouth in Fargo that they yeah. decided to yep. put a damper on that. And in, Peter uh, Stormare, who played Uli, during that movie, he kept wanting to go to a, to a Waffle House. So that's why they go and get pancakes in this one. I mean, the, the Coens connect movies in ways that I'm talking about trying to connect our movies together. Theirs is a masterpiece. I'm trying to just spray and pray, and they're doing sniper shots. Uh, you have a, you have increased my appreciation for the Coen's oeuvre. I mean, John Goodman has said that of all the roles he's 
played. And he, everybody loves working with the Coens, apparently. They all say how fun it is and how easy it is to work with them and all this. And Jordan Goodman has said of all the roles he's done, if he is only remembered for Walter, he's fine with that. He mm. likes that character so much. He's fine with everything else he's done. Yeah, he was Walter. If only all actors could have such peace with their careers. And I think one of the coolest things about the dude is his background. Because he helped write the Port Huron statement, which implies that he knew Tom Hayden. And he was part of the Seattle Se Seattle 7, with which six was other part guys. of the Seattle Liberation Front, and six other guys. So he was there in the 60s. You know what I mean? He was there. Like He was in the back room crafting mission statements and dodging FBI. Uh, he says he doesn't remember a lot of it, but now? But that's just further proof he was there. Because to say if you were really there in the 60s, you don't remember it because of all the drug intake required to, to take part in the scene or something. And I mean, it, what's fucked up to me is like he has this kind of amazing life story where you know he he was an important counterculture figure he he was an important mover and shaker in the in the students for a democratic union and all that or I, i'm getting the name wrong but the seattle liberation front and the port huron statement was a was a landmark piece of writing that that really laid the groundwork for a lot of what the new left became after the 60s it also inspired extremists to become the weather underground who didn't agree with the Pearl Huron statement and stuff like that but I'm probably getting that wrong there's probably like a 60s professor who could say okay first of all it wasn't called the students Democrat or what excuse me I'm not a complete history buff but dude was there one of the things that was funny to me about him having this great life story was he tells it to Maud after he slept with her and she's just like huh and he, then he's like yeah I was in the Seattle 7 with yeah, she uh, had no six idea other guys what he was talking about he's like huh and then he's like oh I was in music she's like oh really and he says yeah I was Rody from Metallica and she's like huh yeah she didn't care like every kind of like great social movement of the past 50 years or whatever that's that's completely beneath Mott she lives in a world of pure art and, and yeah apparently uh, the, the dude's character was inspired by Jeff, Jeff Dowd who um, was part of the Seattle 7 yeah uh, he was part of the Seattle 7 he helped secure distribution for the Coen Brothers first movie and and he has a cameo as a bowler. Peter Xline, I guess is the name. He was a friend of the Coen brothers. He he coined the phrase that really tied the room together. Huh. Talking about his own rug, not the rug in the, the movie. He, he was talking about his own, own rug. And he also found a schoolboy's homework in his car after it had been stolen and confronted him with it. So that whole schoolboy homework thing and then confronting him happened. I hope to it, a friend of the Coen brothers. I hope in real life, uh, the you didn't fuck a stranger in the ass. Yeah, I hope they <laughs> didn't really say that part. That, that's that's a pretty awkward scene. I, I think where Walter is screaming that at the child. Oh yeah, uh, but um, the kids. I, I think the kid did steal the car. There wasn't any circumstance in the movie that came out that revealed later uh -uh. the kid must have not stolen. No, he the stole car. the car. But yeah, so like. A, more stuff that you could count. Um, how many times did they did they mention the the rug being peed on? Seventeen. And how many yeah, times well, did they talk about it being tied together? Five times. How many people have come up with conspiracy theories over the Coens and the and the nine eleven because he wrote September eleventh on the check at the beginning of the movie? Well, if it wouldn't have been tied with George Bush Senior's speech, that wouldn't have been a thing. But having it at the same time as that speech, and then ten years later having the Trade Center thing. That that's where that came from. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm, but yeah. I imagine there's a ton of conspiracy. Oh yeah, there's out there all are, of that. They knew, man. They knew. How how many white Russians did the dude drink throughout this movie? Fourteen. Nine. You thought he was a little bit more drunk than that, huh? Well, he drank those things like water. Mm -hmm. He 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 had those like a regular prop. I've never had a white Russian. Have you had a white Russian? No, I'm not a big fan of Kahlua. Oh, did the, so. I, I imagine.
imagine maybe they don't taste as much like milk as they taste like vodka. Well, the way he was mixing it, he was putting a lot of vodka in, a splash of Kahlua, and a splash of creamer when he made his own. I don't know how they were made when he was ordering them or when other people were making them for him. And he but, had to make uh, his own quite often because the fact of the matter is, is they say, the you have something over to drink? There. Bar's over there. Yeah, can I have a white Russian? Bar's over there. Thanks a lot, dick. Every time I watch this movie, the one thing that gets me every time is Brant's stiff hand pose after he hands the note to the dude. What note? Oh, the, the, oh, the, the ransom uh, note. When he goes in, he hands, and, uh, Big Lebowski tells him to, to hand him the note, show him the note. He hands a note over and just has this just straight pose, arms down stiff, hands stiff, just fingers out, stretched out. It's just this weird, awkward way of showing that this man is always uptight. Even when he's just standing there, he's just rigid. I, I, I loved it when, uh, the old, when the old man starts saying, even strong men cry and it shows brant like tearing up oh that yeah the alligator tears thing yeah Yeah. he's like shoving his chin down into his neck and like frowning real hard and he's just like he looks like he's about to yeah i I just love brant yeah it's like if somebody were to just tell you right now to cry and you have to try and force yourself yeah yeah or or when when they're in the the limo and the dude's like i have more i have information man and that that whole conversation the look on brant's face especially when the big lebowski's going off but the look on his face I think is more entertaining than the conversation going on. Philip Seymour Hoffman was a great actor. Yes. He, he was, far he too was soon. really good. Passed far, far, far too soon. Oh yeah. And by the way, this is part of a Donnie trilogy or a, or a Bushimi tri- trilogy. A Shimmy trilogy? A Bushimi, a Steve Bushimi trilogy. Okay. So yes, Fargo, this is, this is the Big third Lebowski. part of, of this, the trilogy. What, what, what was the first part? Uh, Miller's Crossing, Fargo, and this. Ah, okay. Yeah. But I can't get into that. Because that would spoil things. No, so I uh, will get into that when we talk about one of those other movies. Because by then, which I have we're a on feeling we will. Another thing I loved about the movie was uh, that bowling alley looked like heaven on earth to a certain extent. Is the, oh yeah, the way it was they, a nice the bowling way they alley. They lit it and they shot it, and uh, the w- the way they played the music over it as, as everything worked. It's like the bowling alley becomes a refuge of almost like mystic proportions for these people to come and just uh, play this bizarre game that is bowling. You know, it's like everything from the, the ball returns being polished to the lanes being perfectly oiled and everything. Like it that. was a well-maintained bowling alley. I think I saw a few ceiling tiles that looked like they were moldy, but uh, that's neither here nor there. If I could walk into a beautiful bowling alley with a, with headphones on listening to a man in me or something, I would probably feel like some sort of like I like I've stepped out of the movie or something. Well, did you notice the the sign that kept getting shown in the background? No. What the hit the head? No. So it when you see the full sign, it says hit the head pin. So that is the fir- that is the one pin. That's the first pin in the ten pin bowling. It's called right. the head pin. So they have this bowling pin, and next to it says hit the head pin. But most of the time, you see it. All you see is hit the head. And you know how uh, bowling pins, like the white pin, and then they have, usually have like that red band. Yeah. Well, on this on the sign, I can't remember if there was a red band, but the sign you see when all you see is hit the head is a yellow band. So you see this yellow stripe hit the head, and this whole movie is about a peed on rug. Okay, I think that's kind of a stretch. I'm sorry. I mean, all right, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I have to, I have to rewatch it and see if I can find the sign. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that, like, looking in the background, it's another way things are framed. What's in the shot? at what times it's a keen arrangement of elements within the story the coens pay a lot of attention to the scene the colors the everything 
And they involve a lot of self-referential notes to the yeah. other aspects of the film. I do like the human paraquat line, though, because that, uh, that yeah. was rather fitting. Oh, yes, and it, Jeff Bridges is a fine improv. Well, you just had that look like you had no idea what I was talking about, too. So for those of you that don't know, paraquat was, it was a weed killer that was often used on marijuana plants that would kill the THC, which was considered a buzz kill. So a human paraquat is a human buzz kill. So that awesome. is essentially what he's telling the Bill, Big Lebowski is he's a buzz kill. Would you say you have a deep spiritual connection to the movie, Grant? Well, I guess you could say that. There's a lot of things that can relate to life. Like when, when the stranger asks him how he's been, it's like, you know, ups and downs, strikes and gutters, ups and downs. It's life. Hmm. What would you change about this movie? I would have just had, I would have maybe seen dude bowl, like maybe at the very end. It's interesting. You never even see him throw a bowling ball. Even in the dream sequence with Maude, he never throws no, he a bowling ball. Do. She throws it. Maybe Jeff Bridges is just a really bad bowler. I don't know. Has anyone ever asked him? I don't think anyone wants to know. I'm sure probably someone asked him, but every hmm. just, I think anyone that's interested in the dude just wants to think of the dude as a good bowler and doesn't want to know. Well, the dude has to be, he's definitely an enthusiastic bowler because at one point he's sitting there listening to a recording of mm -hmm. a bowling match or of a bowling league. Uh, yeah, on one side is a, Venice, a bowling match and on the other side is Bob Dylan. Yeah, Venice Bowling League Championships 1987. Until he gets punched in the face and goes into a dream sequence. Yes, by um, Maud and her art thugs. Funny thing about the movie for me was just that his place gets walked into with no problem. You can just walk right into it. Is there a broken lock? Or yeah, it's not just... the most secure place, is it? No. First, the, there's the two thugs, then there's uh, Maud and her boys, then and there's the nihilists and then there's the two thugs again it's just i i'm sorry well yeah, but he didn't lock the door behind him. Oh, well, he should start. Well, actually, he was. I don't know how long he was there because he nailed the board down, then put the chair there. Then they just opened the door. And then later, when he chips over the board, Maud's already there. Exactly. I've been trying to figure out something in this to change. But I think if there's anything in there that's changed, it changes everything. Just because of how tight the script is and how everything is just put together. It's like the only thing that I think you could possibly get away with is taking out Knox Harrington. Or Jesus. Well, yeah, I guess Jesus. I, I I did say he could take him out and it doesn't mean anything to the story. So I guess you could take out Jesus. But I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would either. Because it so did offer a nice little um, relief from the situation. It did give a little bit more of just the life that's going on around them as all this other stuff is going the on. The weird culture of this bowling league and what they have to put up with, the characters in this league that they're part of. Because nobody fucks with the Jesus who licks his bowling ball. Which is gross. Yeah, because the oil on it. But the train is coming to a stop. Well, I thought you wanted to do something else. No, I, I can't think of anything. Okay, well, in that case, should we take a, a cue from the stranger? What kind of cue? That about does her and wraps her all up. And remember, life's full of strikes and gutters, ups and downs. We're all in this whole darn human comedy together. I hope you folks en enjoyed yourselves and catch you later on down the trail. Thanks to everyone who listened and downloaded, and we love all of you. And yeah. Don't forget, like, subscribe, comment, heart, star. Subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Thanks to our mutual friend. Tell us what you would change about the movie. Tell us what you think of our podcast. Tell us what your favorite scene in the movie was, and tell us how Big Lebowski has changed your life. Well, hopefully it has. And if it hasn't, keep watching it, because it will. And thank you for listening. Fuck it, man. Let's go bowling.